whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they told him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and claims to be Messiah, a king. Pilate, Jesus, are you king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Human government was first instituted by God. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Coming out of the ark, God instructed Noah that humans were given authority to carry out His purpose among all humans. However, when leaders serve themselves... 
or only part of their constituents, politics goes bad. Peer pressure is not only a junior high and a high school problem. Because the more decisions are based upon the fear of man, the further we get from God's justice. And make no mistakes about it. You are being pressured by your peers. And our politicians are being pressured by their peers and by their constituents. However, when that peer pressure supersedes God's will, we get a long way from what God calls justice. Last week, we concluded Luke chapter 22 with 70 Jewish leaders who are determined to have their own way. And Luke 23, in front of us, begins with these 70 and and their attempts to persuade the Roman leaders to yield to their wishes. Three hearings then turn into a lynching. In the first scene, then Pilate examines what Jesus had done. In the second and third scenes, the question seems to be about who Jesus is more than what he had done. And finally, in the fourth scene, neither Jesus' actions nor his character matter. Because the mob had made up their mind and they would not be swayed by the facts. Ever since the attack on the World Trade Center, which we had a wonderful Sunday school lesson that talked about how the uh, world events came together and that strategic attacks were played. But ever since the World Trade Center, then um, we have learned to live under a color-coded threat system. I remember in the first few months after the Trade Center collapse, the news always said, today we are at level yellow, or because of chatter we've moved to level orange, or today there is a viable threat, we are at level red, let's be aware of our environment. In today's text, The threat to Jesus also moves through a color-coded scheme. The threat to Jesus moves from code green to code red. In the first scene that is in front of us, in the first few verses of Luke uh, Luke 23, Pilate gives evidence that he may even have a spine. Because... Pilate, in verses 1 through 7, renders a green verdict. The green verdict looks at the accusation and then says, he's innocent. Why should I do anything to him? But let's look at the accusations that Pilate had to consider. The first is there was a false accusation. The false accusation is that Jesus is misleading our people. That accusation actually is rooted in biblical command. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, 
we read about the responsibility of people to evaluate a prophet and determine if he should be heeded or not. See, prophets who would prophesy in the name of other gods deserve death. Sometimes we read about unpopular prophets and prophets that the people wanted to kill. We actually run into that in Jeremiah chapter 33. In Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 11, the priest and the scribe says, That prophet is saying things against us. Let's kill him. And just five verses later, the officials say, wait a second. He speaks for God and he speaks the truth. Even if you don't like it, he will live. And so we have examples in the Old Testament of evaluating the prophets. If they gave a false prophecy, they were to die. If they gave a prophecy that called them to worship other gods, they were to die. They were to die. But in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we have an an interesting connection that requires a lot of discernment. In Deuteronomy 13, we read, If there's a prophet who does signs, and the signs prove to be accurate, and that prophet calls you to worship his God, don't go. Kill him. Because God is testing you to see if you will be led astray. And I believe that the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees of Jesus' day thought they were carrying out Deuteronomy 13. They saw Jesus' miracles. They saw his wonders. They heard his teaching. And they said, but wait a sec. His ideas don't coincide with our ideas. So he must be calling us to serve a different God. And so they determined to kill him. Now, just to prove that I'm not making this up, let's look at what Deuteronomy 13 says. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, that's exactly what Jesus did. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, he called them to serve his father that they thought was another god. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so they saw Jesus doing miracles on their Sabbath. And they thought, he's violating the laws that God gave us. He must be serving another God. And so they make the accusation He deserves to die because he's been misleading our people. 
See, the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day just could not admit that they got it wrong. They had the same problem as Jeremiah 33, 16. What he says, we don't like, so we need to get rid of him. False accusation number two. You know, Pilate, it's one thing for him to mislead our people, but he's actually forbidding our people to give their taxes to you. Let's hit them where the pocketbook is. The problem is, is that Jesus did the exact opposite of what they accused him. Because he says in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So they thought they were obeying Deuteronomy 13. They blatantly lie about uh, sedition and withholding of taxes. And then finally, they, um, they, they, they kind of get it right, kind of get it wrong. They, they, they only tell their version of the story. For they say, he is inciting our people. He is getting our people riled up. And, and, and our people are all worked up about his teachings. Well, it is true that the people were riled up. But they weren't riled up in revolt. They were stirred up that the kingdom of God was at hand. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! All of the praise on Palm Sunday was because the crowd had been stirred up. Stirred up in hope that something good was about to happen. So yes, the people were stirred up in a way that the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees could not control. So they simply said, we're just inciting our people. Subplot, we've lost control. See, the, the kingdom of God threatened the kingdom that the religious leaders had established. And because of this, When their accusations ring hollow with Pilate, Pilate rules on the evidence and he gives Jesus the green light. But the mob continues on to press. I I think we've all seen politicians who grandstand, politicians who flip-flop, with video being so prevalent in the last 30 years, long-term politicians find themselves standing against the things that they once promoted or standing for something that they once decried. In a world of political expediency, some just pass the problem on to others so that they can make the unpopular declaration. And this is what Pilate does in verses 6 or 7. It's just like the House and the Senate, the House passing something that they know will never pass the Senate, or the Senate passes something that they know will never pass the House. But they simply say, hey, we tried to do our part, and they're the bad guys. And that's exactly what Pilate does in verses 6 and 7. He says, rather than me upset all of this Jewish mob, we'll send him to Herod and let Herod make the hard choice. And so after he goes to Herod, then Pilate and Herod working together, then in verses 8 through 16, especially in verse 16, Pilate then has moved from green and he now renders a yellow verdict. 
He's moving towards the red. He actually gives this yellow verdict because Herod just wanted to be entertained. But Jesus is having nothing to do with it. Jesus says, I'm not a plaything. I'm not a joker here for your entertainment. Herod is watching, wanting the show. But Jesus, having been beaten by the priestly guards, simply stands in silence. I'm not going to participate in your mockery. I'm not here to parade and entertain. And so the priest on the sides, the priests and the scribes, they're trying to goad Jesus. They're, they're, they're mocking him. They're, they're saying things to try and get Jesus to just say, fine, fine. They want him to self-incriminate. But Jesus doesn't. And so Herod is looking for a show. The people are trying to get Jesus to do something. Jesus just stands there and says, I'm, I'm not your plaything. So Herod then responds in a rather immature way. He responds like a petulant child. He, he responds with contempt. How dare you come before me and not do what I say? I want you to do a sign or a wonder. Then they mock him. Well, maybe you can't do any signs. Maybe that's the problem. So they have contempt. They mock him. And when Jesus refuses to entertain, they simply say, well, here, let's just mock him. Let's put him in a fine robe as a public demonstration that he is not what he claims to be. I believe he is acting rather immaturely. And so since Herod has had his feelings hurt by Jesus, who won't perform for him, Herod then forms a political alliance with Pilate. Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. Herod's now upset. Pilate's just trying to find somebody else to take the blame. But finally, these two decide to work together in verse 12. That that They had been um, competing politicians until this moment. Because they finally agree that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they say, if he does, if he's my enemy and if he's his enemy, then we can be friends and we can work together. It's an ancient, ancient proverb. The enemy of my enemies is my friend. So Herod and Pilate, both, they, they both disagree with the accusations of the priest. But they don't want, but they see the the priest as their enemy. They're trying to get one over on us, so we will align to stand against their threat. But neither Herod nor Pilate wants to give the impression that Rome is flinching to the Jews. Neither one of them wants to show any weakness. Yeah, the Jews are asking us to do this, but we're in control. We're not going to give them what they want. Herod doesn't want to give them what they want. Pilate doesn't want to give them what they want. And so we actually find in, then in verse 16 that Pilate tries to come up with an attempt to appease the, the mob. I don't want to give them what they want, but if I can just get them to simmer down and to go away, we can all get along. So Pilate proposes what he thinks is a win-win proposition. 
And he says in verse 15, Herod agrees with me. So then he makes his cowardly yellow ruling. I will punish him so that the Jews think they got a win. But I will release him so that it appears that I'm the one who's still in control. So all of a sudden we see a compromise that Pilate thinks is a win-win. But the aggression of the mob ratchets up to begin to intimidate So in verses 18 through 22, Pilate again issues a verdict. He's gone from green to yellow, and now Pilate delivers an orange verdict because he's allowing his wishy-washy to be more and more influenced by the mob. Because in verses 18 and 19, the mob is showing their appetite for blood. They know their demands are unjust, But they want what they want, and they will have what they want. And so they want his blood, even if it's illogical. Even if it means Barabbas being released to the streets, we want what we want, and we won't stop until we taste the blood. But Pilate knows the right thing to do. It it even tells us in verse 20 that he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to release Jesus. And so we have a bloodthirsty mob and we have a politician who at one time showed a spine, but now his spine is turning to jello. And the mob increases because they feel like they are making progress. The mob says, we've moved him from green to yellow. We can move him from yellow to orange. And once we get into orange, we're just one shade away from red. And so they began to make demands. In other words, there was chum in the water. Now, I've never done any shark observations, but I've seen Shark Week on Discovery. And I've seen that sharks seem to be pretty timid and docile most of the time. Is they're just floating in the water, getting along with one another, and it's all good until there's blood in the water. Once there's an injured animal, or there's blood, or there's feed to be had, then they work into a frenzy, and the sharks begin to attack. They're docile until there's blood in the water. Well, the, the scribes and the Pharisees have never been docile, but they are working into a frenzy now. They said, Jesus incites our people because Jesus is calling for the kingdom. And they said, but you you want to see worked up? We'll give you worked up. Worked up and riled up says, we want to crucify him. So Pilate repeats in verse 22 exactly what he said in verse 16. I will punish him so that you feel like you've got to win, and I will release him because I'm still in control. But I noticed in verses 14 and 15, Pilate specifically states, you have failed to make your case. And because you have failed to make your case, I will punish him and then let him go. 
But by the time we get to um, verse 22, his statement that he is innocent now becomes a question. Well, what has he done? And that subtle move from stating you failed to make your case to is there something else that I'm missing? There's blood in the water as Pilate's spine gets softer and softer. And once the crack has been exposed, the mob pushes harder so that the orange becomes red. Because finally, in verses 23 through 25, Pilate grants a red injustice. In 23 through 25, he moves from, I will punish him and let him go, to, okay, you win. See, the the appeal of this Sanhedrin now escalates. They're no longer making a request. When they saw Pilate change from statement to question, their request becomes a demand. As they demand, crucify him. Crucify him. We won't go away until we get our demands. And in verse 24, the irrational, unproven demands of the mob become more important to Pilate than his own sense of justice. And even though he's already said twice, actually three times, he's not guilty. Nevertheless, he gives in to the mob. And he folds like a house of cards. Because Pilate releases a guilty man and he condemns an innocent one. In verse 25. I think verse 25 is a good summary of exactly what happens. It's a a summary of the exchange that happens when every sinner places his trust in Christ. Every single sinner who ever repents and believes that Christ died for their sins is an exchange where a guilty man is set free while an innocent man pays the price. We, the condemned ones, are released from our guilt, but he, the innocent one, endures a death that he does not deserve in the least. That's why we sang today, there is a Redeemer. Jesus Christ, God's own Son. He brings the healing and the grace that we long for. Last week we saw Christ being beaten before he was even tried. This week we see Jesus being condemned by those who admit that he's innocent. And all of this was done according to God's plan to show his love for us. The Father's love is so great that the Son willingly endured injustice. He died. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And all he requests of us is that we admit our need, believe that Jesus died to make us acceptable to God, and confess him as our Lord. 
Our final song this morning is a declaration of the depth of God's love for us. Join me as we stand and testify of how deep the Father's 